to God's word. And indeed, we, uh, you know, as we have committed ourselves through prayer to God's sanctifying work, uh, it, it is all of the above. And um, we know that uh, we are, in fact, his, um, his workmanship in, uh, we find it in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, a lot of the things that we're going to go over this evening, <clears throat> if you were to think about, perhaps if you studied the New Testament more than the Old Testament, but you just think about God's character and how he's consistent, he's the same yesterday, today, and he will be for all eternity, you think about um, his, um, his qualities, you think of who the Lord is and what he requires of us, and he's been doing this work and desiring to do this work in us from the very beginning. Even as he was active in the life of Cain and Abel, Right? Uh, it was Cain and Abel that came with an offering to the Lord, and he spoke to Cain. And he was, at that point, of course, his desires to bring, was to bring conviction upon the heart of Cain in order for him not to follow through with the murder of his brother. And so we know that from the very beginning, we are to be... We are image bearers, and we are to be image reflectors of the very character of God. So it's the same work that he desired in Cain and Abel at that point as he does for us today. As we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship. We are his work of art. Uh, his poema is um, what it says in, in the Greek. And so we know that each and every one of us um, are not only made in the image of the Lord, but we are an unfinished work. We live in a fallen world, and so he towards us, has he does have patience. Thankfully, he has patience towards us. He is merciful, and yet his standard is still holiness and righteousness. In the way that we come to know the fathers through the sacrifice of the son, the shed blood of the unblemished lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. What we see this evening as we go through our study of 1 Chronicles chapters 26 and 27 is a, a work of order. Uh, it is the preparation of the temple or at least its building um, all put together for the sake of David's son, Solomon. And yet David is, is giving himself in a manner that is, that is uh, honoring to the Lord. It's glorifying to the Lord. It's truly a work that you, you can say has a, a stamp of excellence all over it. Every document, everything that he's doing has a stamp of excellence written all over it. And everyone has a part in this. As, as he's organizing this for his son Solomon to follow through with and execute, the whole preparation leading up to it is just all marked with excellence. You know, and, and that's what we should really take to heart, is that everything we do, whether we enjoy the fruits of it or not, whether we are behind the scenes or before everyone, everyone has a part that is of great value to the furtherance of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We all have a part in that. But we should take this work and everything that we do should have the same stamp. Excellence, right? Excellence. Why? Because we should all be able to have others count on us so that we all take part in this, this work that the Lord has called us to of making disciples. You know, today we are making disciples of all peoples. 
Everyone whom God entrusts to us, we are to be ready to make disciples. Us learning how to be disciples at the same time. So we have before us a couple chapters. We're not going through three, but we are going through two chapters. Uh, we're going through First Chronicles chapters uh, 26 and 27. Again, David's been preparing, making all the preparations for the building of the temple. He's not the one that's going to build it. His son Solomon will be building it. Uh, he's getting the people organized. The materials are being gathered. Um, groups of people organized and assigned. Um, all the materials also are being assigned and gathered together, stored, so that Solomon, again, can have everything necessary uh, to, the, to build the temple. Um, he does, of course, as we have seen uh, and know, that he charged Solomon. He entrusted to Solomon this work. He was not going to do it himself, but he not only entrusted, it's not something to where he suggested to Solomon, hey, son, I hope that you take on this task. No, 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 this is a God-ordained, a God-assigned assignment. He has not allowed me to do it, but I know as he has spoken to me and he's, he's passed this along to you to fulfill, he has been charged, he has been entrusted with the building of the temple. But again, his dad, King David, is organizing everything so that he will be successful in doing so. Last week, we covered the Levites, the priests, and the musicians. And tonight, we learn about those who serve God and his people in other ways to facilitate the worship of God as they are going to build the temple in this way, maintaining order and securing the location that is the temple from any outside harm. Last week we left off with the organizing of the musicians, and tonight we pick up in chapter 26 with the organizing of the gatekeepers, and we'll learn much about them this evening. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon our time of studying your word. We ask that you would give us understanding, Lord, that you would even, Lord, perhaps in the, in the time that we study these two chapters, that you would give us remembrance of perhaps other sections of Scripture, and that we would jot down notes, Lord, as the Spirit moves amongst us, Lord, that we would be um, just further and deeper rooted in our faith in you, and know that you truly, as I stated from the very beginning, and are reminded of often that you are the same, Lord. You are this, you were this, you were the same at this point as we study these two chapters as you are today. And so, Father, there's consistency with you. Help us to be mindful of that as we look into, read, and study these two chapters, Lord. Do a wonderful work in our own hearts. We yield to you. You are the authority, the governing authority in our own lives, Lord. May we grow in our faith in you to better glorify you and honor you with our very lives. Thank you for your love and your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 1 says, as for the divisions of the gatekeepers of the Korahites, uh, Meshulamiah, the son of Kor, of the sons of Asaph, and Meshulamiah had sons, Zechariah, the firstborn, Jediel, the second, Zebediah, the third, Jathniel, the fourth, Elam, the fifth, Jehonan, the sixth, Elihonai, the seventh, and Obed-Edom Obed had sons, uh, Shemaiah, the firstborn, uh, Jehoshaphat the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nathanael the fifth, Emile the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Pulathai the eighth, for God blessed him. Also to his son, Shemaiah, were sons born who were rulers uh, in their father's houses, for they were men of great ability. The sons of Shemaiah, Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzabad, whose brothers were able men, Elihu and Shemekiah. All these were the sons of Obed-Edom with their sons and brothers, able men qualified for the service, 62 of Obed-Edom. And Meshulamiah had sons and brothers, able men, 18, 
And Hosea of the sons of Merari had sons, Shimri the chief, for though he was not the firstborn, his father made him chief, Hilkiah the second, Tebaliah the third, Zechariah the fourth, all the sons and brothers of Hosea were thirteen. Isn't it interesting some of the details that we see in Scripture? Even as we read this, um, details as far as, I mean, they go so far as to say that this who, whom was named as chief was not the firstborn, and yet his father chose him as the firstborn in that responsibility. These details are things that really for us should be encouraging because we see how it is that <clears throat> uh, the Lord in Scripture lays out things that perhaps others would leave out if it was an autobiography in order to help the person sound better, right? The failures and the things that happened within the family, and, and, but yet the Lord doesn't. He lays it all out, encouraging you and I, knowing that our families are not perfect, our marriages aren't perfect, and yet this is how we can glorify the Lord. This is how we can be built up and grow closer to the Lord, mature in Him, and have a greater faith in Him. Well, as we read these 11 verses, what was referenced were gatekeepers, the divisions of the gatekeepers. Gatekeepers were people who were tasked with the responsibility of securing the safety of the worshipers. That was the bottom line, the glory of God, um, order within the temple. In a practical sense, well, what you can imagine happening, if the temple... Uh, were here at this very moment, then what we could expect at that time in a practical sense is the temple gatekeepers checking bags, patting people down, having people go through metal detectors, and also having some, of course, plain-clothed gatekeepers amongst the worshipers and making sure that everything was secure and the worshipers were safe. And the glory of God was maintained. That order was maintained. In the spiritual sense, and they all go together, by the way, you can imagine them making sure no one entered into areas that they were not authorized to go into. In fact, the law states that if you go into certain unauthorized locations at the wrong times, then you were set to die. That was the punishment for going into these areas. They were sacred. They were only meant for perhaps the high priest to go into on a set date and in a set manner. And so these gatekeepers were actually tasked with that responsibility. They were responsible for maintaining order within the temple to ensure the wor worshipers were unhindered in their worship of God. This was no light duty. This was not something that was just given to anyone. Oh, come on over. You know, we have a spot for you. I've never done this before. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, we can teach you, and then you can perhaps go into it, but, but it, this was not light duty. It was not something to take for granted. This was a serious responsibility that required the alertness and the preparedness of those who were taking part in this ministry. The gatekeeper division, they were to be very well prepared to fulfill their duties effectively. If you notice in what we read here, there were mentioned fathers and sons and brothers, which tells us that in some cases you had families that all served together as gatekeepers. But it wasn't because they were family. Oh, you can take part in this, son, because I'm here. You'll come in and be a part of this ministry. Because if you also notice along with that, there's some key words that we had read. 
These men, every single one of them, had to be qualified and had to be able men. Qualified and able men. We see this in verses 7 and 8 and also in verse 9. Able men. Able men qualified for the service. And again in verse 9, able men. And this is not only referring to able men in the sense of the quality of their work and in knowing exactly what they were doing. In other words, having a head knowledge, right? And perhaps the ability to execute, but without this other thing, it would be impossible to do so when things really got out of hand. Because what this is telling us, and this is, this is what this able man, this phrase is referring to, is that these were to be qualified men with knowledge and the, the ability to execute in stressful situations. Individually, employing others, or within a group. And with this, also speaking to the fact that these men had to be strong men. I'm talking physically. Physically, they had to be strong men, able to apply force if necessary. And of course, the physical side of it had to be matched with the mental side of it. Because you could have all the physical strength you could muster up. And yet, if you you did not have the internal fortitude, if you didn't have the mental strength to follow through with taking care of a situation, then it would all be for nothing. It wouldn't matter how strong the person was. So all of these attributes, think about this. The the gatekeepers had to possess all of these attributes. In a spiritual sense, they had to be well-versed in the law. They had to know who belonged where how to discern, how to uh, notice things that were out of place. And at the same time, they had to be men of great strength, mental and physical. Because there were times when people just simply needed to be spoken to. We come in, oh, I'm sorry. You cannot bring that into this area of the temple. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes we see men in masculinity and and we think that's something of the past, something that isn't applied today. No, no, no. Again, I remind you, I remind you of the fact that God has made us in his image. Male and female, he's made us. Masculinity is an important aspect of the man. But the man also in his strength needs to understand when to apply that strength and in what sense. To what degree that requires discernment. And I I refer, make reference to uh, men who are able to be strong in one sense and mentally or physically and, and at the same time understand and know how to be as soft as velvet, just gentle, right? Because there were times, as we look at the gatekeepers, when people just simply needed to be spoken to. And then at other times when people needed to be handled physically, spoken to sharply, confronted abruptly. And so again, it needs to be uh, understood that these men need to possess all of this. All of the above. Gatekeepers. They needed to possess all of these qualities. Again, we also need to understand that each position of responsibility within the service of the temple was critical. It was important. Every single person. The church is no different. As I considered the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, it says, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Who arranges the body? You know, as, as the pastor, as the leaders here, uh, we simply acknowledge what God has already arranged. He brings in, and then we start to discern. And that's what we pray for, by the way. We pray for wisdom and discernment. Where, where do you fit in? As you come in, make all the preparations. You know, that's why it's important for you to go through the foundations class so that you get uh, perhaps a good reminder of the basics of our faith. Know where we stand as far as doctrine is concerned. Not only do you know where we stand, but we also know where you stand because it's important that we're all on the same page. And as we go through that, we then are willing to and make ourselves available. And then... We, as a leadership, we begin at that point to think through, to pray, and to ask the Lord, where is it that the Lord has you in this body? Because as we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, every single person, every single person has a place in the service of God in his ministry. As the Lord did through David in organizing the service of the temple, and the nation of Israel, so it is today among God's people. It's no different. He is a God of order, and he has a place that he has set for you and for myself in the body of Christ. But let's go on with the gatekeepers. Verse 12 says, These divisions of the gatekeepers corresponding to their chief men had duties just as their brothers did, ministering in the house of the Lord. And they cast lots by father's houses, small and great alike, for their gates. The lot for the east fell to Shelemiah. They cast lots also for his son, Zechariah, a shrewd counselor. And his lot came out for the north. Obed-Edom's came out for the south, and to his sons was allotted the gatehouse. For Shupim and Hosea, it came out for the west at the gate of Shalakith on the road that goes up. A watch corresponded to watch. On the east, there were six each day. On the north, four each day. On the south, four each day, as well as two and two at the gatehouse. And for the colonnade on the west, there were four at the road and two at the colonnade. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the Korahites and the sons of Merari. So we see here again the order, um, the way they divided themselves and ensured that everything was covered. Uh, these were, as were listed, the divisions of the gatekeepers set by casting lots. And so that's what we see mentioned here. Uh, again, these are different areas within the temple itself. The gates is what we have reference here. Different areas within the temple. But they use this, uh, this process, uh, this, this way of picking who goes where, of casting lots. So the question we should ask is, what exactly is casting lots? Have you heard that as we've gone through Scripture? The, the, the casting of lots for this, the casting of lots for that. Well, we don't know. <laughs> We don't, because we don't have details describing this practice. It could have been a drawing of sticks. It could, be, it could have been a tossing of various stones or rolling something that could uh, have resembled what we know today as dice. But again, we just don't know. Can you imagine today as we're choosing different areas of ministry? It's like we all gather together and we had a bunch of sticks and so it's like, okay, come on up. You're going to pick a stick. This is for the children's ministry. <laughs> and you just pick sticks. Well, we're picking now for this, and come on up. We're going to pick that, and you're going to pick. 
and someone ended up getting the short end of the stick, right? <laughs> but that's how, it's interesting how it is that they, they in this process, listen, it, it wasn't just doing this and thinking, well, it's just by chance, right? Anyone believe in chance? Hopefully not. Don't raise your hand. Everything's by divine appointment. God has a purpose for everything. So it's not by chance. It's not, you know, there's no, there's no luck, right? God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And there's nothing that happens to us that isn't without his approval, his allowance. And it's for specific reasons. But I could just imagine the church gathering together and it's like, oh, today we're going to, you know, what we call cast, casting lots, just for the selection of people and putting you in different places uh, of responsibility within the church. Would you take part in that? What does it matter where you'd be picked to, to serve the Lord as long as you were serving the Lord, right? Well, that's exactly what they were doing. It was for the specific ministry or service of keeping the, uh, the gates or to overseeing the safety of the worshipers. But they did it in this manner, but not just relying on chance, but relying on the Lord. That's what they were looking to. They were looking to the Lord. We do not know uh, this as being a, a practice that is found within the New Testament outside of a couple areas, actually three. Um, there is the casting of lots for Jesus' garments found in Matthew 27, 35. And we also see when the disciples cast lots to choose, you remember who? They casted lots for what? Yeah, yeah. Who was going to replace Judas? They cast lots for them. So in, in those two times, we see the casting of lots reference, but not in any other section within the New Testament. What we do know is implied by how they chose those who served within the gate, gatekeeper divisions and their schedules was that they were not personal appointments, but they genuinely sought the Lord and trusted he would appoint the right man for the right position and time. It was all according to the Lord. You see, we could be chosen for any given thing as long as we are well prepared and we are available. So prepare yourself for that moment when the availability and your preparedness come together. That's your willingness to serve in whatever capacity the Lord has for you. But you have to do this. You have to be a student of the word. It's a requirement. Why? Because anything that you do within the body of Christ requires some basic understanding of your faith, number one. And number two, for areas of discipleship, whether it be in men's or women's Bible study, whether it be in the children's ministry, it requires a little bit more that you stay ahead of those that you are pouring into. So your preparedness requires you to be a student of the word, to have regular and consistent devotion time with the Lord, that you're reading, that you're praying, and that you're genuinely desiring to serve him. So spend time with the Lord. It requires your preparedness. Well, you know the Lord is interested in the heart of man. Oftentimes we look to the outward, but we know that God looks at the heart. We see this with David. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. And this is speaking of one of David's brothers. Oh, surely this is him, Lord. And, and this was the Lord's response to Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So our inclination is looking to the outward and not paying attention to the heart. Let's test the heart of man and see where we truly are. 
Because that's what God is interested in. When God sees our heart, it should be the heart of a lion. Courageous and confident in the Lord. Because we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is our refuge He is our provider, he is our protector, and he is our victor. We know, therefore, what can man do to us? We go forth in in and with the Spirit of God, knowing that he goes before us, he's on our sides, and he covers us. We know who can do all things. And we know that he does all things well, right? Gatekeepers. By the way, all these characteristics, all these qualities were to be possessed by young and old alike. Not just the old, older men, but the younger ones too. Do, do we have older men, women, who have those qualities, who are instilling that in the younger the younger need to see those qualities in the older. Men and women who are consistent, faithful, trustworthy, loyal, lovers of God, students of the word, devoted to him and his glory. Because you'll get the younger excited about who the Lord is by not only your word, but also your example. This is what it was with the gatekeepers. The younger also needed to possess these qualities. And so, of course, they looked to the older. Let's continue, though, in verse 20. There were other areas of ministry that we have listed here. And of the Levites, Ahijah had charge of the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries of the dedicated gifts. The sons of Laden, the sons of the Gershonites, belonging to Laden, the heads of the father's houses, belonging to Laden, the Gershonite, Jehilai. The sons of Jehilai, Zetham and Joel, his brother, were in charge of the treasuries of the house of the Lord, of the Amramites, the Izorites and Hebronites, and the Uzzielites. And Shebuel, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, was chief officer in charge of the treasuries. His brothers from Eliezer were his son Rehabiah and his son Jeshiah and his son Joram and his son Zikri and his son Shilamoth. This Shilamoth and his brothers were in charge of all the treasuries of the dedicated gifts that David, the king and the heads of the father's houses and the officers of the thousands and the hundreds and the commanders of the army had dedicated. From spoil one in battles, they dedicated gifts for the maintenance of the house of the Lord. Also all that Samuel, the seer, and Saul, the son of Kish, and Abner, the son of Ner, and Joab, the son of Zariah, had dedicated. All dedicated gifts were in the care of Shelemoth and his brothers. So there were those who were assigned the stewardship. You could say this was the finance division. And um, so, again, we see this, this very well-organized uh, nation of Israel that was being put together by King David, not only in and through the wisdom that the Lord had given him, but we, we also see, and we'll see uh, in a few moments, how it is that he had some very faithful and wise counselors around him. But this is what we have here. This is the, 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 the finance division of the temple, with Shelemoth as the director overseeing all of the finance division's work, managing the material assets that existed, the monetary contributions that were offered, and even the riches that were brought in due to the victories that David had in battle against the enemies. All of these things are seen here, all dedicated gifts to the Lord, and in understanding that they were simply stewards of this work. This was a service again unto the Lord, no less and no more than even the gatekeepers. This was crucial to making sure that everything worked the way it should. The way King David had organized it is the way that it should have been fulfilled and worked out. 
in the hands of Solomon. But what we see here <clears throat> is just amazing wisdom to put it all together. The treasurers and others who were stewards of what God had entrusted to them. Verse 29, let's continue. These are some, some other duties. Verse 29 says, Of the Israelites, or Isarites, uh, Chenani and his sons were appointed to external duties for Israel as officers and judges. Of the Hebronites, Hashabiah and his brothers, 1,700 men of ability, and had the oversight of Israel westward of the Jordan for all the work of the Lord and for the service of the king. Of the Hebronites, Jerijah was a chief of the Hebronites of whatever genealogy or father's houses. In the 40th year of David's reign, search was made, and men of great ability among them were found at Jazer in Gilead. King David appointed him and his brothers, 2,700 men of ability, heads of fathers' houses, to have the oversight of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites for everything pertaining to God and for the affairs of the king. This was stated several times, that phrase, pertaining to God and for the affairs of the king. Uh, this was in reference to some external duties that had a direct impact on the nation's heart of worship centering in the temple. All of these, and they were considered, and as we see here, they were described as, these are external duties. Uh, they included, involved, people who were assigned to, as, as officers, administrative officers, and judges. But they were also described as being men of ability, given oversight, leadership, and responsibility for everything pertaining to God and for the affairs of the king. These were men who were tasked as leaders among the people on behalf of God and serving in that order. Also, as they served God, they were serving the king and to judge matters outside of the temple. That would, in time, affect the worship of God within the temple. The reason why I said that these external duties had a direct impact on the worship of the nation is because they prepared the heart of the nation for worship outside of the temple, before they even got to Jerusalem, before they would have even stepped foot into the courtyard, into the, the boundaries of the temple in the old city. These were people who were positioned in their areas of responsibility to ensure that the heart of the people was in the right place. That they were ready to worship when they came to the temple when it was built. Uh, we can be tasked with this in many ways. Whether it be within our own home. Whether it be within our circle of friends. These are all things that, that we can take part in Again, as you think of the parallels of the way we worship today, of course, we don't have a temple. We don't worship this way. But we know our sacrifice has been completed by the will of the Father so that you and I can enjoy a relationship with the Lord. But if you think about some of these things that we see even within the pages of Scripture and these two chapters specifically in the previous ones in preparation for the worship of God's people. We see how it is. Oh, we can take part in these things in various ways outside of the boundaries of the church building. Because when you take, a, take action and help a person grow in their understanding of God's Word within perhaps a Bible study or when you're out having coffee or sharing lunch or dinner, you know what you're doing? You're actually preparing that person, helping that person get to a place to where they're better prepared to worship when we all come together on a Sunday or on a Wednesday to worship the Lord. That's, uh, 
That's a wonderful thing that we can do. To be a part of the ministry, God's external duties, outside of the, the boundaries of the physical building where God's people gather together. Well, David's organizing efforts didn't end there because we're going to continue on in chapter 27 with uh, taking a look at military and tribal leaders. Chapter 27 in verse 1, it says, This is the number of the people of Israel, the heads of fathers' houses, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and their officers who served the king in all matters concerning the divisions that came and went, month after month throughout the year, each division numbering 24,000. Each division. So there were 12 tribes, each responsible for providing 24,000 men to serve within the military under the authority and the direction of the king. This means that they were all, they were all countrymen, fellow countrymen. They were each belonging to a tribe within the nation of Israel. They were all countrymen. They were all Israelites. One of the 12 tribes was always on standby, while the other 11 tribes, during the time that the one tribe was on standby, at the ready, the other 11, well, they weren't just sitting idle. They were actually in that time training and training and training. Why? So that they would be further prepared and skilled to defend and know victory over any would-be invaders. Any enemy would infiltrate or attempt to, well, the nation of Israel would simply be stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Why? Because you had one on standby and the rest of them were, were given to training. That's what they committed to. And we see 24-7 coverage. The 12 tribes... 12 months, over the course of 12 months, one was assigned each month. 24-7 coverage. And again, of course, the other 11 were always ready to assemble and join the one if the battle necessitated that. We'll see the listing in the, in the next section of verses that will go over uh, the captains over David's army. So those specifically um, assigned to oversee those different uh, divisions. Uh, but these were men who were well-prepared, constantly training, disciplined, and willing to lay down their lives for the sake of their brethren and the king. Again, they were ready to do this at, at, at any given time. By the way, these were civil soldiers. They were a military force that was made up of the people, for the people, and for the glory of God, and to secure and maintain his worship. For nothing else. They weren't there for Syria. They weren't there for Egypt. They were there for the nation of Israel. For the glory of God. And for the sake of their brethren. To maintain and secure the worship of God. That was it. That's what they were tasked with. 24,000 Soldiers from every, from each tribe, from every tribe. Uh, the divisions of the military are listed here. Verse 3, let's continue, says, Deshobiam, the son of Zabdiel, was in charge of the first division in the first month. In his division were 24,000. He was a descendant of Perez and was chief of all the commanders. He served for the first month. Dodai, the Aoite, was in charge of the division of the second month. In his division were 24,000. The third commander for the third month was Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the chief priest. In his division were 24,000. This is the Benaiah who was a mighty man of the 30 and in command of the 30. Amizabad, his son, was in charge of his division. Azael, the brother of Joab, was fourth for the fourth month, and his son Zebediah after him. In his division were 24,000. The fifth commander for the fifth month was Shemuth, the Israelite. In his division were 24,000. 
Sixth, for the sixth month, was Ira, the son of Ikish, the Tekoite. In his division were 24,000. Seventh, for the seventh month, was Helas, the Pelonite of the sons of Ephraim. In his division were 24,000. Eighth, for the eighth month, was Shibakai, the Hushathite of the Zerahites. In his division were 24,000. Ninth, for the ninth month, was Abiazer of Anathoth, a Benjaminite. In his division were 24,000. Tenth, for the tenth month, was Maharai of Netophah of the Zerahites. In his division were 24,000. Eleventh, for the eleventh month, was Beniah of Pirathon of the sons of Ephraim. In his division were 24,000. Twelfth, for the twelfth month, was Heldai, the Netophathite of Othniel. In his division were 24,000. Now, among the listed were some notable warriors. Uh, one, as we see here, um, the, the Lord took some time to make sure that it was noted that uh, this Beniah was the one described as a mighty man of the 30 and in command of the 30. Uh, in other words, he was, he was one of the mighty men of valor. He was one of David's mighty men of valor. He had, he's described as having been the one, he's the one that killed two Moabites, a lion in the snow, and a formidable Egyptian. He was, he was a man of exceptional skill on the battlefield. Amazing courage, a leader of men. In fact, as we read, he was one who was commander he was the one who was uh, in command of the 30, as we see in verse 6. And so that's who is among those listed as captains of these divisions. Now, uh, Benaiah represented what these, men's, what these men were. Uh, mighty men of valor, warriors, ready, strong, able, skilled, Courageous and men who serve God and king. We also have tribal leaders. So we have military leaders, civil soldiers, but we also have tribal leaders that are assigned and serve as part of the overall organizational structure of the nation of Israel. Every single person and group affects the overall worship of God, including the families and those who make up the families, the individuals within the families, the families, the leaders of those families, the tribal leaders, the military leaders, and all of those who are given to the service of God. And that's what we have. Verse 16, as we continue, list these tribal leaders over the tribes of Israel, for the Reubenites, Eliezer, the son of Zikri, was chief officer. For the Simeonites, uh, Shephatiah, the son of Makkah. For Levi, Hashabai, the son of Kemuel. For Aaron, Zadok. For Judah, Elihu, one of David's brothers. For Issachar, Omri, the son of Michael. For Zebulun, uh, Ishmael, the son of Obadiah. For Naphtali, Jeremoth, the son of Ezrael. For the Ephraimites, Hoshea, the son of Azaziah. For the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joel, the son of Padeah. For the half-tribe of Manasseh in Gilead, Edo, the son of Zechariah. For Benjamin, Jaseel, the son of Abner. For Dan, Azarel, the son of Jerome. These were the leaders of the tribes of Israel. David did not count those below 20 years of age. For the Lord had promised to make Israel as many as the stars of heaven. Joab, the son of Zariah, began to count, but did not finish. Yet wrath came upon Israel for this, and the number was not entered into the chronicles of King David. So again, the Lord puts in all of those details into Scripture. Now, regarding those two last verses that we read, regarding verses 23 and 24, this is in reference to what we read prior. You remember the census that David took? Well, this is in reference to that. Uh, David, we know as we read here, did not count anyone under the age of 20. And yet it was the very reason that he counted, that he, he took a number of the, 
of the nation of Israel that he was judged. He was, uh, he was confronted by the Lord and he was disciplined. At the same time, we see here that David understood the significance of the judgment. We know that the people were being counted, but there was a point where it was stopped. And as we read here, the number was not entered into the Chronicles of King David. We don't, even, we don't want to go into the numbers taken from that census that shouldn't have been taken to begin with. David and the whole nation suffered for what he did. At the same time, what we read here is an understanding that, that David understood the significance of judgment, of the judgment that he and the nation endured because we read in verse 23, David did not count those below 20 years of age for the Lord had promised, and this is what's key, because the Lord had promised to make Israel as many as the stars of heaven. A person who has a man after God this is what happens. Sometimes we we'll get stubborn, we get prideful. We um, <clears throat> disregard the Lord as the bottom line. And we do things, but then the moment that we consider God's word, the moment we realize that we're in the wrong should be the very same thing. Stop. Stop. Because it was in that moment that he remembered also. Oh yeah. The Lord, the Lord has promised to make Israel as many as the stars of heaven. These are God's people. I shouldn't be counting them as if they were my own. They are God's people. Because what this is telling us is, is that David trusted that God would increase the kingdom. It was God's work to add and multiply and make the nation great. After all, it was God's nation and it was God's promise. God has always simply required that his people be faithful. That's what he's required. This is, this is my word. These are my standards. This is what I expect of you. Just be faithful to me. God's made all these promises. He's faithful. What he expects of us is just be faithful. Just believe, trust, and follow through. And it's interesting how it is that the Lord tells us that he rewards faithfulness. In his own way, I, I know that one of the ways that he rewards faithfulness, that is our our trust in him, our belief that he is who he says he is, is having that peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, when we be begin to get anxious, why are we anxious? Do you, do you know the root of your anxiety? It, it's because you don't trust reality in that moment, or you don't know reality. In other words, you don't know what is true, and your mind can play tricks with you, and you can suffer anxiety. But I repeat for the, I don't know what number of times I've repeated Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Y'all know it by now? What is it? But in everything. So be anxious for what? Oh, nothing. Do not be anxious for anything, right? Nothing. Nothing at all. Because... Anxiousness, or the Bible also tells us, don't worry, right? What is worry? It's a sin. Why is worry and anxiety a, a, a sin? Why? Because we, we want something, right? Yeah, it lacks trust. It lacks faith. Who's guilty of those two? We all are. We all are. We've all fallen short. But what, what do we do the moment that we're reminded that we've fallen short just one more time? 
Is this how we respond? Because that's what's important. In that very moment, instead of saying, yeah, but, right? Because that's what we catch ourselves doing. I catch myself, yeah, but. (laughs) You don't know my circumstances. And then I'm reminded, who am I speaking to? In the presence of the Lord. Listen, he does not want us, wants us, he doesn't, doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us to worry. He wants us to lay his burdens upon him, for he cares for us. He wants us to know that if we are restless, we can come to him and find peace. He is faithful, faithful. he is trustworthy. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Do we not want to please him? So we express a faith in him. You know, this, um, his faithfulness, I was reminded of um, what the Lord desires to do. How, how can we be, be faithful within Jesus' church? This is his bride. How can we be faithful? Well, we find it in Acts chapter 4. Verses 42 through 47, which says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word, to the fellowship of the saints, and the breaking of bread, communion. This is, this is what we do as we gather together. Let's just be found faithful to do that, to express God's love toward one another, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's do the work of an evangelist. Let's do what God has commissioned us to do, to make disciples of all nations. We do this as we gather together. We do this in faith toward God. And you know what he'll do is he'll continue to add those to the church. That's his work. That's, that's what he promised to do. Let's just be faithful to him in doing what he has called us to because the Lord requires our faith, our trust in him. In verse 25, let's continue. It says, Over the king's treasuries was Asmaveth, the son of Adiel, and over the treasuries in the country, in the cities, in the villages, and in the towers was Jonathan, the son of Uzziah. And over those who did the work of the field, for tilling the soil was Israel, the son of Chelub. And over the vineyards was Shimei, the Ramathite. And over the produce of the vineyards for the wine cellars was Zabdi, the Shifmite. Over the olive and sycamore trees in the Shephela was Baal Hanan, the Gedarite. And over the stores of oil was Joash. Over the herds that pastured in Sharon was Shitrai, the Sharonite. Over the herds... In the valleys was Shaphat, the son of Adlai. Over the camels was Obil, the Ishmaelite. And over the donkeys was Judea, the Maranathite. Over the flocks was Jazes, the Hagrite. All these were stewards of King David's property. So the, the overall kingdoms, uh, the administration of the kingdom um, had to be handled by qualified and able men who served with excellence and consistency. All of these are listed here. The, the treasuries, the, um, the work of the field, the tilling of the fields. The, in other words, the, the farm work, uh, the tending of the vineyards, the shepherding, the raising of the livestock, the caring for and raising of animals of burden, or any other like work were all for serving the Lord. This was mentioned, by the way, in the organization in preparation for the building of the temple, for the worship of God, which was central to the nation of Israel, and everyone had a part in it. Everyone was serving the Lord. 
Every single person was facilitating the worship of God. Not to mention they were worshiping God as they served him in obedience in whatever position they were assigned to, they were entrusted with. It was a stewardship. It was a service unto the Lord. G. Campbell Morgan said this, quote, The greatness of David as a king was manifested in the acts of peaceful administration, as surely as his victories on the fields of battle, the tilling of the ground and its careful cultivation, the rearing of cattle, and all the things pertaining to the welfare of his people were arranged for under duly qualified and appointed oversight, close quote. But we know that wisdom came from the Lord, that discernment came from the Lord. You see, David also understood that he had to surround himself with with faithful men in these areas especially of oversight. Men he could trust and know they desired also the heart of God and his glory, just as David did. That's why I'd mentioned earlier, we look at the outward, and sometimes people look and appear a certain way, but listen, you got to just wait. you got to see where the heart is. Does the, person, does the person have a heart after God's own heart, a desire and a passion to bless and glorify him above all? Well, David knew this was critical. It was important. And we're going to see this in the closing. As we read verse 32, it says, Jonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor, being a man of understanding and a scribe. He and Jehiel, the son of uh, Hakmonai, attended the king's sons. Ahithophel was the king's counselor, and Hushai, the archite, was the king's friend. Ahithophel was succeeded by Jehoiada, the son of Benaiah and Abiathar. Joab was commander of the king's army. And so finally, we are left reading those closest to David. Uh, You could say um, that this was King David's cabinet. These were entrusted, uh, trusted advisors, his closest counselors, men of wisdom, understanding, knowledge. And even as we see here, we see some of them were, were considered to be friends. They were friends, but again, that quality that needed to be possessed by all of them is that they were men of understanding, they had wisdom, discernment, and they had the glory of God above everything. That that was preeminent. That is what they were interested in. You know, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where no guidance, where there is no guidance, that is wise guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You surround yourself with people who are understanding, wise in the scriptures, know the scriptures, and are willing to come alongside you and just serve the Lord together, giving you good, sound, biblical counsel, even and especially during difficult times, but in just giving just everyday advice as well. Well, David knew the value of that, and we know that, as we see there, the closing, his cabinet, that's what he surrounded himself with, and so should we. Listen, with and through all of this, I'm reminded once again as we close of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. May the worship of God be central. May everything that we do to serve God facilitate or directly affect the worship of God. And in so doing, we worship our God in obedience and in service unto him. And may you know a joy in the midst of it as we serve him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that we can look to you. There's no chaos with you. There's, there's order There's just such detailed organization as we read through these verses. Amazing how it is that your standard was that these 
people in these positions would be able, qualified, skilled, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand how it is that we can be able, qualified, and skilled to serve you in any area of service. And be ready for that moment when we get a tap on our shoulders and and we are asked to serve within the body of Christ. Lord, that we would facilitate that. We would encourage, Lord, the building up of other people's faith as our faith grows. Lord, that we would strengthen as part of the the body of Christ. This is the local body of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would move amongst us, Lord, and that you would stir our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you, that we would spend time in devotion to you, reading through Scripture and just meditating on your word. Lord, that we would be mindful of you in all aspects of life and fulfill what you've called us to do. And so thank you, Lord, for your word. I know it's, uh, it's the way in which our faith is grown. As we read, we study it, and we hear it. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.